Hello and welcome to the HR Sucks podcast where we'll get down to the good, the bad, and the crap of workplaces today. I'm your host, Katrina Gazarian, and on this episode, I am joined by my friend Omar Said, who is a CEO of Ties.com. We get into some discussions about being a small business owner, what needs to be done, and essentially what was going on at around week three of being ordered to shelter in place uh, in the state of California. I hope you enjoy the episode. Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a beat. Thank you. We get down to the beat, y'all. We get down, down to the beat, y'all. We get down to the beat, y'all. It's like when I go and see. So to put things in context, we're technically three weeks into this coronavirus outbreak in in, in the U.S. Um, As of right now, um, we are um, the number one nation in having the most coronavirus cases reported, obviously. Um, At this current moment, um, every single medical facility is experiencing a massive shortage in personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. Everything from face masks to gloves to gowns to everything. Um, and the economy is just all over the place. We recall the recession of 2008. Um, you know, it took us like 18, 19 months to recover. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're around the same age as I am. So you probably remember this around the same time. Oh, wait, I'm younger. <laughs> all right. All right. Calm down now. I'm just saying, I was like 20 when it happened last time. You were like 30. (laughs) 25, calm down. (laughs) I remember because I just graduated. What are the rules of like same age, just out of curiosity? Like like what's the differential there? I would say, it it also, those rules change as like you hit new brackets, right? Like 35, right? Like for me, it would be like 35 is a new bracket. No, I, I think I think this is what happens. I think when you're like 18, you as a 20-year-old, you can't say we're the age because there's a vast difference between an 18-year-old and a 25-year-old, right? right? But I think when you're like 35 and somebody in their like 30, like somebody's like 38 and they're like, we're the same age, that's true. And when you're like 60 and somebody else is 50 and they're like, we're in the same age, Probably also true. I may not have this viewpoint when I'm that old, but I I feel like that's probably true. But in any event, not to digress, um, I feel like when the 2008 market um, sort of like recession happened, um, stock markets were a lot quicker to recover than Main Street was. And, you know, like like I said, before we um, veered off, the like we felt it i mean i at least did because i had graduated from college at that point and I, I think you know like one of the main reasons why i went to grad school even before going to law school one of the reasons why i went to grad school was because like there was just no jobs out there like 2008 happened and the market just basically crashed overnight um, mm-hmm. and it this is a lot more um, um i want to say in terms of like hitting the wall 
this coronavirus sort of like indicator um, market sort of like fluctuation happened a lot quicker than 2008 happened. Because um, I think 2008 caught a lot of people off guard um, in the same way coronavirus has, but it wasn't as immediate because not all sectors of the market had hit it. And that's also like another differentiating factor, right? So in any event, um, in my opinion, I feel like the, the, the Wall Street recovered a lot quicker from that recession. I mean, there are talks that we might hit a depression at this point, right? Like we might really feel, I mean, you know, 10 million job losses, um, that's a significant amount by any means. I'm currently in Europe and um, I, I'm in Holland, to be specific, the Dutch prime minister got up and said, listen, you will not lose your house. You will not lose your home. Um, the Dutch government has your back. If you lose your job, we have your back. That's literally what he said. He gave an eight minute speech. And then this mm -hmm. eight minute speech, I swear to God, everybody was like, okay, cool. Like, just gonna happen. Like, and we're like in, in Holland, they're experiencing some of the worst cases right now. You know, it's, it's the, I think it's like number eight in, in, in the list of countries with the most reported cases. Um, they are experiencing shortages of PPE, just like everywhere else. They're, mm -hmm. you know, stop importing. Uh, face masks, they, they, have, um, they have all these restrictions, but nevertheless, I think it's people aren't, like the people of, of, of Holland aren't as, as worried or as desperate as they are, as we are in America. I think we in America are just sort of like, you know, we're at the whim of whatever the government decides and, you know, they usually make the decision a lot later than other nations. And so you think like, okay, well, why can't we get ahead of all of this? Well, because of the bipart, I mean, they just can't agree on anything. They're so focused on trying to make each other look bad um, that they lose focus on, you know, the hundreds of millions of people that are going to be affected uh, by yeah. these decisions, you know. Yeah. But so now that we're three weeks, we're finishing up three weeks of of being home. What what is some of the content out there that you're seeing that is just annoying? to you right now? Like oh, advice, man. advice that these bloggers or companies or articles are writing that you're just, it can't deal with it. Okay, well, um, a couple of things jumped to mind. One stop, as a CEO of a company, stop asking your marketing people to write you a letter that you stamp your name on and send everybody on your email list. Cause I don't give a shit what you're gonna do for your company during COVID-19. Like stop sending those emails. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what you're doing, right? Like everybody's mm -hmm. in their own mission. Like you know, have it as an internal mission. Um, that's number one. But I think like in terms of content is like all of a sudden you have all these people who are giving you advice on what to do and yes. how to do it. And they oh want to get on the gosh. phone with you and they want to advise you. And you're like, dude, what have you accomplished? Like I, we've never been through this. Like, who are you to tell me? Like, listen, it's not like Warren Buffett is sending me email saying, Omar, I really like to talk to you about your company. And I'd I, listen. Like, I'm, right, exactly, <laughs> right? Like you've accomplished something, <laughs> Sir Warren. Um, he's I mean, been me, through me, like, like five depressions right like I, I will happily listen to listen to the ups and downs of market uh, market tribulations you've had and I, I, I will do my best to sort of like take notes but all of a sudden you have these like people who haven't accomplished anything telling you what to do um, so that that's probably really really annoying but I think another thing that I find really annoying is all these people who are popping up with courses right so you know everybody sees the same sort of like statistics about how people are at home say someone's um, name Oh, man, no, no, do I can't, can't do that. Put someone <laughs> on blast. Do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Katrina <laughs> wants me on the show just so I can like, because I talk a lot of shit. She just wants to get me caught up. <laughs> 
um, there's a lot of people, but, and I, and I find that sort of like disingenuous, right? Like all of a sudden all these courses are coming out and people like want to want, want you to like listen to their course or buy their course or do all this stuff. And you're like one of the very few people that's leading the business world by example. And I will always say this, I will be a staunch defender. I will punch anybody in the face. If they say, if, if they disagree with me, I will argue with anybody. Come, come argue with me. I will debate with you every single day. I believe that Elon Musk is our sort of like da Vinci. He is our, um, he's our John D. Rockefeller. He's our like modern day sort of like industri industrial revolutionary. To, to, in the next hundred years, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk. And I think mm -hmm. he's one of the very few people that's like as in the, in the business community is actually doing something um, to help humanity, right? Like he like sees that we're suffering and he sees, um, he obviously understands that he's not a medical doctor. He obviously understands that he can't like go to the hospital and help people, right? He's just trying to figure out how do, how do I utilize the tools that I have, the resources that I have, knowledge that I have to be able to enable the people that are actually helping people, right? So a thousand ventilators that he basically said he was gonna do it in a week, within a week he launched them and he's basically giving them away for free. Mm -hmm. um, he said he was going to produce a million masks and he's producing a million masks. He's doing that. There was no uh, war defense uh, decree from Trump that said you have to do this, right? The way he, the way Trump asked GM to do it. And then GM basically like finagled uh, Ford into doing it with them, but he just did it on his own. Like, and I think right. to me, that's it. And I think another sort of business leader is, is, is Ray Dalio, like Ray Dalio. Well, first of all, he's been screaming that the economy was going to crash for the last six years, but you know, he's like, sort of like very even keeled. And he's like, look, A, I told you so, but B, mm -hmm. like, this is sort of like, you know, uh, the, the effects of the, what we've been feeling. And if anybody's interested in Ray Dalio, watch um, the mechanics of the market. Um, I think it's called how economic machine works. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, like a 30, 35 minute video on YouTube. Go watch it. It's one of the most sort of like fundamental things that you should, you should be watching as a, as a um, entrepreneur to understand the market. Um, but, but Ray Dalio is another one of those guys. Um, Bill Ackerman. Yeah. Bill, okay. Yeah. And, and I think Bill Gates too. I've always admired him and the work that he's done. I always, I don't, oh, I don't all the way like people, if that makes any sense. There, there's some things I like that some people do, and there are some things that I don't particularly agree with. Yeah, but, but I, think, I think it's also that you're looking at something this close, right? So you don't have the sort of appreciation of history to be able to contextually look no, at No, I do have that. That's what I'm trying to say, is that there's, say, for example, with Elon Musk, I, I don't really, I, he puts a lot of money and funds and work into space, right? Whereas my point of view is, why don't we fix Earth? You know, if we can yeah, use those okay. resources. So this, this, Stop yeah, interrupting me. You interrupt me no. every time I talk and I let you go on for like five minutes. All right, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going to so, come back to this point. Of course you do. So I don't know. I just, I, I do agree. I, I am looking to see like who is doing what I think during this difficult time. And one of the things that I do like is that like about Elon Musk during this time, aside from all of the work that he's doing is, He's just not out there telling people what to do. He's just doing it. And I admire people who do that, who aren't so focused on bringing awareness, but just more of 
let's just solve the problem or figure out what the problem is and how to solve it instead of, you know, trying to make viral media. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I, not to hearken on, on this point with Elon Musk, right? He does things that, um, when, 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 in my opinion, when a visionary like that steps up and says, hey, I want to land, by the time I die, I want to be able to land on Mars and I want to die on Mars, right? It's because he's seeing something that the rest of us aren't, right? It's the yeah. allegory in the cave story, the sort of like Aristotelian idea of, 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 of not knowing what you don't know. Um, and that's, that's who he is to me, right? He's sort of like this, this sort of like person that you look at for the future of what's happening um, or what might happen. He just sort of thinks outside of the realm of like most conventional ways of thinking. And so, um, and not to sort of like blindly believe in what he's about to do or what he's accomplishing or what he's going to do. But in my opinion, I, like, again, I, I'm just, I'm a huge supporter and believer of Elon Musk. And so I will always defend him, but um, I, I understand your point, you know, like it might not be something that you are particularly interested in immediately. Right. And you say, Hey, we have real problems here. We have world hunger. We have all these other things, but he also understands that like, I think when you look at these sort of like very, very, um, simple questions, like why do we have world hunger? Why do we fight wars? Why are there these imaginary lines on, 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 on the ground that separate, you know, countries? When you think of these like very simple questions, there are very, very complex answers to them, right? Like why is there world hunger? Because, you know, uh, $25 billion ends all of hunger in, in America. And, you know, and obviously we have no problem printing $2 trillion or $1 trillion in 48 hours. So right. why do we, you know, these are very simple And there's questions. not a shortage of food either. Exactly, right? There's no shortage of food either. And obviously we have surplus of it, but nevertheless, that the, they have very, very complex answers. And so instead of Elon saying, I'm gonna answer these very, very complex, very bipartisan, very entrenched problems, I'm going to resolve something that I do have control over, right? Like I mm -hmm. wanna put an electric car to have less reliance on fossil fuels and that's what he's done. Right. I'm gonna try to get um, the cost of getting into space down to a fraction of what it used to be and that's what he's doing. I want to make, you know, the cost, the cost of, or, or rather, um, uh, traveling to Mars a reality, and that's what he's working on. These are things that he's doing because those are the things that he has control over, right? Right. There's. No, that there's, makes sense. It's it's also it's it's just like you know like um, that friend of yours, um, you know, that has all these issues, but you know you're never going to resolve those issues. As an objective person, you can look at those issues and be like, oh man, that person has all these issues. But the truth is, talking you're about you. Sure. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the content out there, um, like I'm gonna be honest, I can't even I don't even read my emails anymore unless they come directly from like a client, right? But all okay, I'm not I, I take that back. I read Starbucks emails because I just want to see if they're going to stay open. <laughs> <laughs> or First of all, I didn't even know Starbucks sends emails. That's number one. They I mean, do now, they apparently. Do. Um, but also some of the content out there is like, you know, get dressed for the day as if you were going to leave the house. And I mean, I read these. I'm like, wow, you people are really desperate to get so here, readers. That, that's, that's an interesting concept because I'm in the retail space, obviously. Um, for those who don't know, I... Um, um, I, I, I own a company with my business partner it's called Tais.com and um, we do men's sort of like fashion 
um, and this is not a plug, I'm trying to provide some context. So we've been very, very careful with how we tailor our messaging. In fact, we've like redone all of our marketing uh, calendar and we're very, very sensitive about the kind of emails that we send out because it has to be contextual. It has to be within the narrative of what's happening. Nobody gives a shit that you have a fucking sale on pair of pants. Nobody gives a shit. Like I'll be absolutely honest about this, right? And so, but I, as a retailer, as somebody who owns an e-commerce company, and as people, I have people on the ground, I have my own distribution facility, my own marketing team, my own accounting team, mm -hmm. my own dev team, um, uh, my own creative team, my own sales team. These are real people who need food on the table. So I have to send out messaging because there are people who are not really affected. They work remotely. They still have disposable income and they still want to buy, right? And I want to get the messaging out to them, but how do I do it in such a way where I'm not insensitive to the people who are suffering, including me, including some of my employees, to people who aren't suffering, um, uh, to people who are suffering, but also to people who aren't suffering, right? There has to be some sort of like contextual stuff. And I watched some of these bigger guys. I'm not going to name names because, right? You, Why are right, you here? Uh, you know what? Fine, fine. I'll, I'll call people out. I, I, like I watch Bonobos, right? And Bonobos is a, is a, is a, is a, is a Walmart company. Right, like you watch Bonobos or like Everlane or like all these big companies that are like all of a sudden like they're like sending these newsletters. You're like, dude, how like are you a insensitive or b can somebody on your marketing team change like tailor this messaging so it resonates mm -hmm. a little bit? Nobody wants to see that you know like oh like summer sale happening. You're like, you're like okay. I'll put out somebody, Polaris, right? I'm watching YouTube and I don't have YouTube premium. So like I have to sit, sit through five seconds of, of, of videos. Polaris is running these ads like spring. It's all about America. Like get on your Polaris and rule the land. You're like, bro, it, there's a lockdown. Where are you going in this spring? Like you're not going anywhere. Somebody should notify Polaris and be like, dude, fire the guy who's running ads on YouTube because these ads are not like, that that it doesn't coincide with with what i do right even if i was in the market right. and in fact uh, my business partner owns a bunch of polaruses for his for his land but i bet you anything if he saw that he'd be really pissed about it because he's like mm -hmm. i gotta pay my employees like we're digging into our pockets to be able to keep the company afloat i don't want to see those ads and i think i think that you can do those ads if you're a little bit more sensitive right just be and that's what we've done we've tailored our messaging we have um we donate you know this because you know we, you're one of our vendors and you know this intimately that I personally donate a lot of money to 501Cs, but even my company, it's one of our missions. We donate a lot of money to 501Cs every single year. Like for our size, a significant portion of our revenues is sort of dedicated to go to 501Cs from breast cancer mm -hmm. societies to uh, chalk hospital to a number of different types of organizations. But, you know, this is a very difficult time because as a, you know, somebody who really feels it's my civic duty, I feel obligated to be able to um, give money to the CDC that has a COVID-19 fund. They have mm -hmm. a COVID-19 disaster fund. They obviously need the money, but I don't have, like, I, I have very little reserves and, you know, it's not infinite and we're trying to, you know, sort of like weather the storm here without like making massive layoffs or laying a bunch of people out. So we're trying not to do that. And we're trying to like, you know, dig into our pockets, dig into the company pockets, dig into our personal pockets to be able to sort of like do this. But mm -hmm. while we're doing this, we don't have the bandwidth to be able to afford this. So what do we do? We actually were, we're, 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 um, we're, we're running a sale where a 
portion of our proceeds are running or going to the CDC. But that's a decision that we made on the fly. And we said, hey, listen, we can kill two birds. We can stay on message. We can be sort of genuine to who we are as a company. But at the same time, we don't have to neglect our sales. We don't have to be those, those like we were supposed to run a spring sale as an entire campaign on, on, on wedding um, on wedding products because wedding is a big season for us. Obviously we sell neckties and we sell bow ties and we sell socks and we sell right. sort of formal, formal wear and shirts and stuff like that. And season weddings is, is a big season for us. And we had all these campaigns planned, but we've pulled all those campaigns back because guess what? Nobody's having a wedding, right? If, if, if I think I, if I had to guess, I would say 95% of the weddings are being canceled. They're being postponed, not canceled. They're just being postponed. I'm a service business. So you know, we, we're a little bit different. I think one of the best, I think probably the best advice I've heard um, was not to do anything new. Um, so not to, in the sense of, it's not about transitioning. You could transition, obviously, you have to transition to everything virtual. But for, uh, for I think for us was to not do anything like not to launch a new product or an, a new type of service, but to more stay who you are and what your core competencies are. Um, so because that's what people know you for already. I think, I think for a service service industry, that might be correct. Um, but also like, you know, I, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here. You know, we live in a new reality. I was on the phone with, with our attorneys and these guys are some of the smartest people I know. And one of the partners was on the phone and, He's not even in California, in a different state. But, you know, we were talking about sort of like this new reality that we're all coming to, right? Like we're all living in a new reality right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know necessarily, I don't know if I would agree with this advice and saying, you know, sort of don't try anything new. Stay, stay with the things that you know, because just like how we're trying to resolve this medical issue with conventional thinking, economic thinking to be able to resolve these issues. I think the same thing is true for your own company. I feel like as an, as a company, you sort of need to roll with the punches, figure out new opportunities for yourself, figure out new marketing uh, opportunities for yourself, figure out new messaging. Now, you know, I could say like, okay, well, it's really not, we typically wouldn't run this kind of ad for a CDC or a promotion to give proceeds to the CDC because that's not on, on brand for us. It's not, but that's not necessarily like that's, that's a, move we had made that's a pivot that we had made to our marketing promotion yeah so I no think, i mean like you're not going to go produce new products is my point like you're not going to spend I, a ton yeah, of you're not going to spend money on producing something different i i yeah. think that there's if you are um so i'll, I'll give you a really sort of like um easy example, right? This is easier said than done, right? So the air, the, the uh, travel industry, I think has been, they've, they've allocated, can't remember exactly how much, but don't, don't quote me on this. I'm just going to throw a number on this because I don't remember specifically. It's not my industry, but the travel industry, airlines, uh, ship, shipping, cruise lines and stuff like that had been allocated something like 50 billion or something like that. I can't remember exactly how much, mm -hmm. but all of that has gone to airlines, right? Because they are, you can argue, they are an essential business for a bit. Mm -hmm. If I needed to go to China today, I could hop on a flight and go to China and be there in 12 hours, right? That's an essential business. They need to be able to operate. A cruise line, I, it's not mm -hmm. as essential as, let's say, you know, like a, a, um, um, 
uh, an area. Well, it's leisure, so getting, right? Yeah. So it, it's more leisure, exactly. So they're not, so they're not, they're not getting any of their funds. But as as a cruise liner, what are you supposed to do now? If I had the capacity, maybe I would tra transform some of those cruise liners to you know cargo ships and you know be able to ship cargoes because right, I would cargo ships mm -hmm. are in desperate need right now. That's obviously not going to happen because these cruise ships aren't outfitted like that. Please don't quote me on this and don't like write comments and send me emails saying, oh, it's not going to happen. Of course, it's we not don't get that happen, many right? viewers. It's fine. Or okay. that many listeners. No, when you blow up, somebody's <laughs> going to dig this one and be like, oh, Marseille. You know, like, don't pull that shit. Don't fucking DM me. I get such weird DMs. You can say whatever you want here. No one listens to it. Well, I don't know about you, but I just, I think it's important for us to talk about maybe even, you know, with both of us being CEOs of companies. Um, I think well, you you're in the service industry. Can I ask you, yeah. can I ask you a question? You're in the service industry. Sure. So tell me, um, what are you doing different now to be able to weather the storm here? Are you doing so, anything different? So if I'm being completely, tr completely transparent, I did hunker down like week one, day one. Um, I made it, I made a decision. It wasn't an easy one, um, but you know, I, I wanted to make sure that we preserved as much cash as possible. And so I did cut hours day one to about half for everyone. And then, you know, provided them the resources that they needed. Now with this new legislation coming out, I'm hoping that I will be able to bring them back up because of the you know, the two major um, grants that they're, they're looking at giving to small businesses is the economic injury grant and then the payroll relief loan, where it's supposed to be forgiven as long as you use eight weeks of it, or, you know, as long as you use it to pay your employees mortgage and things like that. Um, so I'm thinking with those, with that, I'll be able to bring them back up and still be able to preserve the cash that we have. Um, but I think for, I think we've pivoted in a way of before I was the one that had to go out and network and get new business um, to where now I think we're just solving problems at this point. Um, we, we're taking in inquiries, we're taking in questions um, and we're just helping people out either, we're either pointing them in the right direction of where resources are or you know, we're trying to help them put together a plan um, if they need to do a reduction in staff or we're, I mean, I've even gone as far as trying to find revenue opportunities for these businesses. So yeah, I, I, I kind of, because you've reached out to me and that's actually really admirable to be able to sort of like use your connections in that sense. Um, well, let me ask I've, you some sort of like logistical questions actually, since. Okay. You know, like, well, let me finish this thought really quick. One of the interesting dichotomies I'm experiencing is I have clients who've had to completely hunker down and then I have clients who have grown exponentially because of the industry that they happen to be in. And one of the great things about that, at least from my perspective, is I can take some of the employees that were laid off or, or furloughed indefinitely from one client and try to plug them into another one. Um, and I think that sure. that's something that's always been important to me. Um, and we don't charge, you know, a placement fee or anything like that. We're just, I think we're just, I've been, like you said, I, I, ha I do remember the financial crisis 10 years ago. I was working in the bank. So I felt it. Oh, I thought you were too young pretty, for it. 
pretty, I, yeah, I know, I felt it. Um, I was just a little bitty teenager back then. No, I was devastated financially by it. Um, I couldn't pay my credit cards. I mean, everything went to collections. And I, it took me about, it took me 10 months to find a job. And then on top of that, I don't think I recovered what I was making. I think it took six years to recover that. Uh, like basically what I was making before it happened, it took me six years to make that again. Um, and, and I think I, I remembered it and I told myself, I'm not going to be a victim of this anymore. And, or at least I'm going to really try hard not to be. And so I don't know if you were like this, but, um, I always predicted the economic downturn because I just wanted to feel, I wanted to always be prepared. I kind of wanted that underlying fear of it happening again. Um, and so as quick as I could, I paid off all my debt and I started saving. So yeah. that way I didn't, I did not want to experience that. Now I'm a mom, you know, I can't, I, I just can't go through that again. I, um, I, I think that's a, that's a interesting point, you know, um, cause I had similar sort of like feelings towards that you did towards that recession. Um, because in 2010, I decided, um, I joined ties.com at that point. Um, and I had a mission, but I am sort of like the internal optimist. And so I have swung for the fences every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I want to say that like, I'm, as I, I've gotten a little bit older, I've gotten a little bit more prudent. I've gotten I've become a little bit more sort of like conservative with, with the way even the company spends its money. And even I, as a personal uh, sort of like endeavor, I, I spend money, like, you know, got rid of the exotic, the penthouse and stuff like that. Like you just realize at some point, like, Hey, you know, this downturn is going to happen. Like Ray Dalio has mm-hmm. been sort of like yelling at the top of his lungs for five years. It's going to happen. Right. So, you know, this is yeah. happening. Right? The box to box podcast. I told Miro, I said, he's like, so you're saying there's going to be a downturn. I said, I think, I'm, I'm not saying it. I know it. It's going to happen oh, and it's going to yeah. happen soon. And I, yeah. I had, I did that podcast in October. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. proud. I mean, it's not something I'm proud of. It, people see it as pessimistic, right? You know, who never will admit there's a downturn coming real estate professionals. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I, it's coming, dude. <laughs> like, come on. You know, I, you, I mean, they're, they're going to feel it the first, right? Like they're feeling it first and they're feeling it the hardest. Um, and, you know, like, I think, I think like to, to your point, I think, you know, we, you could have sort of like predicted this economic downturn to, to happen because we've had like, what, eight, nine years of really great run, 10 years of really right. great run without sort of like any interruption. And you think to yourself like, man, this can't last forever. Like something. No. And it, there is, there is some key, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I would consider myself like an avid business reader. I read about business all every day, mostly because I'm curious about new ideas and new types of businesses. And, and I think it's, it's benefited us as a business to know what else is going on out there. Because for example, if you're having an issue that has nothing to do with HR, but I know there's a solution out there for you, then you know, I will refer it to you and say, like, hey, I saw this business. This is what they're doing, you know? So it's always benefited me in a certain, a certain way. But, but some of the key events I was really monitoring was the WeWork story. Um, and then all of these companies that went public and how they performed after going public. So a lot of that, a lot of that was happening in the last 
year, right? A lot of that, it was, they were going public and then they were doing terrible after going public. And so I looked at those situations and realized it was going to come, this downturn was going to come sooner than, than later, you know? So this wasn't like where I've been saying it, like other people, they, like you say, Ray Dalio has been saying it for six years, right? Now you're like, okay, dude, you said it six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, and it hasn't happened. I barely started saying it last year. Well, you know, you say anything long enough, it's bound to come true, right? Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, interesting proposition. Uh, whether or not we could have predicted this and whether or not we should have been more prepared for it as sort of like business people is, is one thing. But, you know, the other thing is also that, you know, I've, I've, um, if, you, if you read this book called Hitting Champions and if you listen to anything, as you by other podcasts, I probably have mentioned that on every podcast there is. But, you know, like as American business people, we really strive for massive growth, like double, triple digit growth, right? Mm -hmm. like that's, that's sort of like our trophy, our, our success for the year, you know, to be able to say, oh, I grew the company for, you know, 100% or something like that. Okay, so if, if somebody is in a cash crunch, do they do mm -hmm. furloughs or do they do layoffs? I have a bunch of them, by the way. So let's start off with that question. Um, I think, I think because we don't know how long this is going to last, I think a furlough for now is okay. I think just furlough them so you can keep them later and you get to keep their benefits going because even that payroll relief, um, the payroll relief loan, the forgiveness of it does include their benefits. Um, so you can get, yeah, you'll receive, you'll be forgiven for any costs or, or, or any types of funds that you use for payroll benefits, you know, mortgage and rent, things like that. So yeah. my suggestion, because if you lay them off, sure, they can, you know, receive unemployment with the EDD, but they're not going to get benefits through EDD. Right. Um, sure. So, or in California, EDD is the unemployment insurance. Um, yeah. And so I feel like it's better to furlough them because not only can they still collect unemployment benefits from EDD or from unemployment insurance, but they'll also maintain their, benef their benefits with you, their medical benefits. Okay. So I, I think furloughing and then that way, let's just say if, um, if you're a business and you did apply for the relief for the loan, that way you can bring them back because you're going right. to get all the money back and you can, you can use, you know, you can use them to maybe take care of pro big projects or mundane things that you've been putting off, you know, for all this time. For example, we're going to be working on our training manual and documenting all of our processes. It's just really mundane work that doesn't drive revenue um, directly for us, but it's something that has to be done. And I yeah. think that this is a good opportunity to do it. I think that's why a lot of my clients, uh, we've been able to still do work for them because the CEO, they're not traveling right now. I can pin them down and say, hey, let's work on these things that we like haven't this? been able to work on. Yeah, exactly. Like so, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think, I think if you can furlough them, it's better. And then bring them back. You can bring them back even a little bit uh, part-time and then kind of gradually increase their hours. If you lay them off, they're gone. What do you think of um, companies that are, and I'll drop names if you want me to, companies that are firing their employees, um, laying them off, quote unquote, um, and using it as a way to get rid of employees that they didn't really want? 
Um, I'm not totally against it. I don't know if you're going to be surprised to hear that. Maybe you're not. You know me, so you're probably not surprised. Yeah. Um, I, it might be a strategy um, that is perfectly legal and and perfectly okay, but you just have to be careful. You just every time when I've been approached about a lay, you know, we want to lay employees off. You know, I say you need it has to be a non-discriminatory process then, right? And so and so two of the main ways that companies take to do that is you know first in or i'm sorry last in first out so based off of seniority or you can break it down to into the two departments so if you have a department that just can't do any work right now for example maybe maybe a lot of your customer fulfillment department um doesn't you know just not just can't work right because of the lockdown um, then yeah, you can lay them off and it's perfectly okay, but you have to decide even in that department, what's the strategy here? A lot of companies come to me and they say, well, it's because this person performs better than this other person. Oh, prove it though. If you can't prove it, you cannot use that strategy. And being able to prove it means their performance review, the performance review had to have been given to them where they signed and acknowledged it. You have to make sure the system you're using for performance is clear cut because if you don't have a defensible position, they will win a wrongful termination case. And so that's why one of the things we did right away was we put together a daily performance record for our clients because a lot of a lot of companies were afraid about, oh, they're working from home now. They're not going to be productive. They're not going to be effective and this and this and that. And so we rolled out this remote work plan where we put in a daily performance record. So that way in two weeks, you can seriously, and you can look at and determine who's performing and who's not. And now you have a defensible position for when you have a layoff plan later. Okay, cool. So I have some sort of like general questions for you. Um, what do you think um, you've been in HR space for a very, very long time and sort of, you know, uh, advising a lot of, um, um, a lot of CEOs. What do you think, on average, your like top one or two um, advice is to CEOs? Like when you first get a meeting with them and you're your first like a paid vendor with them or a paid mm -hmm. service provider, what do you think usually your number one advice is to these CEOs? Stop making decisions on behalf of your employees. That's usually number one for me. There's Which, by the way, I think you gave me also. Yeah. And, and to provide some context, by the way, so we we have, a, you know, we provide a lot of like benefits to our employees and we do a lot of fun stuff. And then once a year we do, you know, sort of like a weekend getaway where we do a trip to, you know, like this river that's close to our office and we have fun. And Katrina told me, she said, do your employees really enjoy that? And I was like, I think they do and she was like are you sure and I was like I've never asked this and she goes well maybe they don't want to spend time with their boss for a whole weekend right. and I was like oh shit I've never thought about this so yeah, yeah I, I can attest to this so yeah so I would say number one stop making decisions for them and make decisions with them if you are going to make the decision still but if you can remove yourself completely from making you know re remedial decisions like 
oh, should I grant this person their, their day off? You should just shouldn't be doing that. A CEO should not be doing that. That's something that, you know, an office manager should be taking charge of or an HR person should be taking charge of because owners of the company are, they're just too emotionally involved. And I'm saying that as, as an owner and as a CEO, it's, I've failed on, I should have made decisions so much quicker than I, than I did because I was too emotionally involved, right? So I think number one, stop making decisions for your employees, stop doing the recruiting, stop doing the termination, stop doing all of that. Leave that to someone else. Because as a CEO, I mean, if you go on Glassdoor, right? What, what, are, what, what are the first two reviews or two metrics that you see? You see the, act, the average of stars from employees leaving reviews, and then you see approval of CEO. There's a reason why you're the CEO. There's a reason why you should not make these decisions. The decisions should at most be a COO or a CFO. The CEO has to be the visionary of the company. And when you're too emotionally involved to each individual, like to where it's number one, it's too hard to be um, not, you know, it's too hard to hold the line as a CEO, in my opinion. Right, because you're afraid. As much as we don't want to admit it, the accountability as CEOs, line. Yeah, as much as we don't want to admit it as CEOs, we care about what our employees think of us. We want them to like us, whether we admit it or not. You know, it's important to us. You know, we have this vision and we want to be liked. We want to be respected and we want to be liked. Any CEO that comes to me and says that they don't care, number, they're not going to be in business very long. I don't think. So, or they're going to, they probably have an extremely high turnover rate. And I then, think before I met you, I think before I met you, I cared a lot. Mm -hmm. I think I care now, but in a different way. I think I was right. really emo like I would get emotionally really affected by the things that I would find out about or from my employees. Um, yeah, you took it really personal, right? I really took it personal. I yeah, I know. Like, I've I, experienced I it, it really with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, but it's because I love my company, and I feel like I've given a lot of myself and sort of you know a lot of my years and lifetime earnings and mm -hmm. sort of like a lot into this company. And so you know, you have these moments of weakness, and you get really, really down and upset about something that's happening. And especially when you find something out, you're like man, I really try to help that employee for a better part of a decade now. And I can't right. believe she's, you know, she or he's going behind my back and backstabbing me. Like that is shitty. Like, yeah. I mean, that's why you're the CEO, right? Because of the contribution that you, you make to the company and because of the emotional ties you have to the company. But, but that is also the reason why, like you don't have the skill set as a CEO to make some of the decisions that CEOs are making today. And that's just the honest truth. You know, okay. you are a business builder, you build businesses, you create a vision, and then you have a team that's gonna help you, you know, execute that vision, right? You, you should not, you don't have the skill set to number one, be completely unbiased, about all of the decisions that you're making. And number two, you're not, a lot of CEOs, like they're not, they're not tracking the decisions that they've made over the last years to make sure that these are the right decisions. And so when you have somebody whose who's duty is to focus on making sure there's a system in place to make these decisions, 
it takes a lot of pressure off of the C staff, in my opinion. Yeah. And so my, my second piece of advice is like, you know, just touching on what you said about the retreats and employees is don't just say your employees like working for you, measure it. And, and that can come in different ways. That can come in doing a climate survey, like we've discussed before, um, an anonymous one where they don't have to give their name and then maybe even a third party is managing it for you. And then secondly, even if you just look at your turnover rate, um, because- uh, Yeah, our, our attrition rate is really, really low. So it's hard to like measure our success by that. And I don't know if our attrition rate typically is low because, you know, we're, we're just poor at firing people or just, you know, like, you know, whatever, or we're really great employers, whatever it may be. I like to think it's the latter. But I think that gave me a lot of perspective when I was talking to you about, you know, sort of a not making these decisions myself, letting somebody else make these decisions, but also not, you know, sort of assuming that what we're doing for the entire company, that everybody sort of wants that, you know, like that everybody, mm -hmm. you know, everybody wants to go on a trip or everybody likes doing this stuff. And, you know, it's funny because now I hold, because, you know, we hold these town hall meetings and I sent like my first survey after I think 10 years of running the company, I sent my first like town hall meeting after post post a town hall meeting i sent a survey and i was actually pretty surprised at like the kind of comments i got mm -hmm. you know, like about its usefulness about it sort of like um um the type of information that was offered like i, I felt like that was sort of like really really um, um useful